Welcome back to another edition of Down to the Wire, where we recap the NHL headlines alongside of uh, Nolan Thode. Uh, you know, him and I uh, recap the NHL headlines that have happened in the past week, starting off with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, they were without Joe Thornton for quite some time there, and they bumped up Hyman alongside of Matthews and Marner. And I thought that line worked very well due to Thornton's absence. Yeah, no, I think that line was just working perfectly for the Leafs because you have a little bit of everything, you know, an elite playmaker and a guy like Marner, a guy like Matthews who can put the puck in the net, and a guy like Hyman who's just going to go 110% on every shift and be in the right place at the right time. Hyman is that net front presence on that line. And I should mention that Austin Matthews has a 12-game point streak heading into tonight's game, Monday night's game against the Ottawa Senators. Uh, and like you mentioned, I just think there's so much playmaking on that line because as we saw, um, you know, against the Habs on Saturday, uh, you know, one example is that Matthews was in the corner and he had a backhand spinorama pass that's, you know, got centered to Marner, who had a really good scoring chance bringing the slot there. Uh, not only that, but then uh, Matthews also uh, beat Deneau on a one-on-one battle that, you know, pa- passed it out to Marner and that resulted in the one nothing goal. So I, I was really liking that Matthews, Marner and Hyman line. That line was very dangerous for the Leafs. Yeah, no, for sure. And I think that's a big part of it. You say the 12-game point streak and the Leafs have been rolling. Obviously, they lost to the Habs on Saturday, but I think Carey Price was just on his game that night and not a lot was going to get past him. Joel Thorne is active tonight against the Ottawa Senators, which means that Hyman gets bumped down and Thorne is back up on the top unit. Uh, personally, I dislike that option. Uh, I think that Thorne should be on the third line to start. Um, you know, I kind of go with the philosophy of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And, you know, I just think that, um, you know, this is not the right move to do if you're uh, Sheldon Keefe. Yeah, no, I think the chemistry of that, you know, Matthews, Marner, Hyman line is something that I think, you know, later in the season, they're going to go back to. I just think for now, you know, uh, with Thornton, you're trying to like ease him into the, you know, lineup into the roster. And he had some success earlier in the season with Matthews and Marner. Um, I think, you know, moving Hyman down isn't a discredit to him. I think it's just more trying to balance the lines as, you know, Tavares and Nylander, their other winger has been Mikheyev for a couple games. And it was typically Wayne Simmons, but he's injured as well. So the Leafs are just kind of having to make these moves on the fly. I don't have this down in my notes, but I just read the NHL Bruins lineup. They had a practice uh, today. It got released at around like 12 or 12.30. Anyway, they split up the perfection line, which consists of Marchand, Bergeron, and Pasternak. And they moved Pasternak down to be alongside of Krejci and Ritchie. And, you know, it's an odd choice to do that because of how dominant that perfection line is. And if you look at the stats and just how the Bruins play, in my opinion, that middle six with Richie and Krejci, and it used to be DeBrusque. DeBrusque got bumped up to the first line. Um, and it was DeBrusque and Craig Smith. They were uh, interchanging. Anyway, um, I just think it's really weird that Bruce Cassidy would split up the perfection line. Yeah, they, they played the Islanders, I think, on Saturday, and they lost 4-2, and their two goals only had three people co- contribute to them, and it was Marchant, Bergeron, and Pasternak. So again, I think, you know, just spreading the wealth, I think the Bruins have options, you know, and when things are clicking with their depth forwards, you know, second to fourth lines, they can have that perfection line going. However, you know, a guy like DeBrusque, you're trying to get him 
you know, he, he was injured for a little bit. You're trying to get his, his wheels turning. So putting him with uh, Bergeron and Marchant is good. And, you know, Pasternak, no matter who he's playing with, is going to have an impact on the game. I think that we will see the perfection line uh, sometime in the future, obviously. It might be like in the playoffs because right now the Bruins are rolling, like you mentioned. Um, And, you know, if there's no need to have that perfection line because of how dominant it is, then, you know, there's really no need to put them together. So I think they will be put back together uh, come playoffs. Mm -hmm. No, I think eventually just that, that, that line when they're on the ice, they're called the perfection line for a reason, you know, just when they're on the ice, they're going to be dominating play most of the time. And I think it just gives the Bruins an advantage in the game. Another line combination that has been absolutely filthy this season has been the Christian Dvorak, Connor Garland, and Nick Schmaltz line down there in Arizona. And I just think, you know, maybe it's just the Canadian coverage here uh, for media, but, you know, there isn't much attention to that. Connor Garland has 14 points, six goals of that, six goals. Uh, Christian Dvorak has 13 points, seven of which are goals. And Nick Schmaltz has, uh, you know, six goals on the season as well. So it, it, just that line has been so well, and it sucks to see that the media isn't, you know, covering that. Yeah, you know, unless in a couple of years Matthews goes to Arizona, you're not going to see a ton of coverage down in the desert. You just, it's typically, you know, Canadian media and just NHL media and sports media in general, the Arizona Coyotes kind of just get left to dry and not a lot of coverage, even, you know, if they are being successful, like you mentioned with this line, I think, you know, Arizona, they had a couple rough years with a lot of top picks. And I believe, you know, you know, with John Chaka, obviously he's not there anymore. However, maybe the philosophies that he had, maybe bringing in a couple good prospects and they're, they're seeing this sort of youth movement kind of really start to lead their team. You know, for a couple of years, the youth was just a little bit inexperienced. That's why they had to bring in guys like Stepan and Kessel. However, now, you know, they're, they're leading the team and leading the charge. And those three guys that you mentioned are all having great seasons. Arizona is fifth in the West Division with 14 points. They're actually one point out of a playoff spot. Anaheim holds that fourth playoff spot. In the last 10, Arizona is 5-4-1, and one, and they're currently on a two-game losing streak, hopefully looking to turn it around. Yeah, I think with Arizona, you know, Kemper and Ranta, that's probably one of the more like solid tandems in the league. So, you know, last year they made the playoffs, Um, you know, they had to win the play in against Nashville, but they technically made the playoffs. And a lot of that was credited to, you know, their back end. But now that the offense is rolling, I think Arizona, if they can keep it up for the whole season, they're definitely, you know, a threat to be in the top four in that division. One storyline that was kind of uh, circling around hockey Twitter and just hockey in general was Patrick Laine getting benched in late second period and actually the whole third period. Uh, you know, we all we can all make the Fortnite jokes here and uh, here and then uh, here and now. Uh, anyway, uh, it's just surprising to me because. I, uh, you know, it brings up the question, like, is it the player's fault or is it the coach's fault? And reportedly, uh, Liney was bad-mouthing one of the assistant coaches. So obviously, you don't want that character to be repeated. And given that report, I think it was John Tortorella in the right there by sitting Liney. Yeah, you know, when it first came out, people thought it was, you know, maybe performance-based. But a couple of days later, you know, we, we did hear that it was because he was bad-mouthing a coach. And, you know, especially for the Blue Jackets, but, you know, if you're any team, that's not, you know, that's not some character trait that you're going to want to have, especially with a new guy bringing him in, you know, someone who's going to be able to get away with that. So, you know, you know, Torts especially won't won't let anyone get away with that. 
And, you know, I think it was maybe a good learning experience for Patrick Laine. Um, You know, he seemed to maybe get away with whatever he wanted in Winnipeg uh, just because he was that much of a threat offensively. But now he's going to have to rely on more of a complete game to see those minutes go up. Speaking of getting those minutes uh, up, a few days later, he did lead the Columbus Blue Jackets in ice time. So, you know, he did have a a kind of a setback, you could call it. Not really, but uh, then he rebounded very well with uh, leading the team in ice time. Yeah, you know, you like to see it. And he scored a couple goals, actually. I think four maybe in his last five games. I think I remember seeing that somewhere. Um, so, you know, just wishing for the best for line A, you know, any any sort of offense in Columbus, it's hard to come by. But, you know, with a goal scorer like line A, hopefully things are looking up. Niels Hoaglander unfortunately blocked Jordy Ben's, uh, you know, his own teammate shot right into the face. Uh, he quickly got stitched up and he returned right to action. Uh, I thought I put the, that in my notes uh, just because of, uh, you know, it's kind of like the season. It's just that season for Vancouver where it's kind of like everything going wrong. Yeah, exactly. Nothing going right for them. And, you know, Niels Hoglander, it's just unfortunate, bad bounce and gets caught up high. Uh, moving on, some very fortunate news, uh, you know, as a owner of the PayCast uh, and prospect of the New York Islanders, William Dufour, he has been tearing up the QMJHL. They are back in action. Uh, he has 14 goals, nine assists in 17 games. He is currently leading his team, which is the Drummondville Voltigare, in goals and points. Uh, very proud of him. Uh, I'm hoping he has a great career. And actually, the Islanders did a nice little piece on him. I, I did read it, and uh, it was a great piece on William DeFore and how he has been uh, progressing this season. Yeah, you know, you like to see progression from guys, you know, especially if you were uh, someone to interview them. I think just, you know, in general, I think it's nice to see that the QMJHL is playing. Uh, hopefully not too many issues. And, you know, like we said, it's, it's a tough year for prospects. Obviously, Dufour has already gone through that process of being drafted. But, you know, just games being played in general is a good thing for the hockey world. And uh, I was watching the Mark Bergevin press conference that was happening at 1230. And he said that he hopes the NHL draft does get pushed back uh, simply because, like we mentioned last week, there isn't anything to scout on. Yeah, no, like you said, we mentioned last week, we thought it was a good idea if the draft were to be pushed back. And, you know, seeing Mark Bergeron come out and say that publicly, I think it might be something that the league is, uh, you know, moving towards. The Philadelphia Flyers are dealing with some COVID issues. They had some games postponed. And, you know, that's really not good for the East Division because I think that's three or four teams out of that eight-team division has now had uh, games postponed or affected because of the coronavirus. Yeah, you know, speaking of, like, the Devils and the Sabres, they were out of commission for, you know, one to two weeks. Sabres, you know, they're playing tonight good but they haven't played yet in February. So, you know, any other team in this, uh, you know, East division, I feel like they've probably had the most issues with this virus. Um, You know, maybe a lot of that is credited to, you know, they're playing in New York and Pittsburgh, these more heavily populated cities. However, you know, just in terms of, you know, fans of the league, we don't like seeing these teams go under and hopefully the Flyers can rebound. 
The New York Rangers uh, are reportedly being discussed as a potential team for the Lake Tahoe game. And that's because uh, with the Philadelphia Flyers COVID situation and the Lake Tahoe games are supposed to be played next weekend. Uh, The one that we're talking about is Boston versus Philadelphia uh, on Sunday at 3 p.m. Eastern time. That could be Boston versus New York York Rangers uh, simply because Philadelphia may uh, be unable to play. Yeah, you know, for Philadelphia, I think that's as clear as a message as you, as you can get. You know, the league's not going to move with you. They're going to move past you. And if you're being irresponsible, they're going to be quick to replace you in that, you know, primetime game. And you hear the players talk about these outdoor games, and it's, it's a special atmosphere. And I think no one would want to miss out on that. The other Lake Tahoe game is Colorado versus Vegas on Saturday at 3 p.m. Eastern. I'm very, I'm very interested to see if we're going to get special jerseys for Lake Tahoe or if just the teams are going to use the reverse retro. Yeah, I think, you know, if we were to get special jerseys, I feel like something could have come out on it, uh, you know, prior to the games, you know, unless they're coming out and surprising us with something uh, in the near future. I think we're just going to be expecting that uh, to see them in, you know, potentially their reverse retros. And with Colorado and Vegas, I think, You know, those are two jerseys I feel like I'd like to see out on the ice with the Nordiques uh, Colorado jersey and, you know, the red Golden Knights. Miko Koivu retired unexpectedly on Tuesday afternoon. He had 200 goals, 505 assists for 711 points in 1,035 games. He played 15 seasons with the Wild. His 16th was with uh, Columbus there. And it, it, it was shocking to me to see that he retired so unexpectedly. I thought he was going to play this season out. I think me as well. And I think, you know, this is the second case we've had this season. You know, Corey Crawford signed a deal in uh, New Jersey and he retired. I think it's just, you know, especially tough for these veteran guys who have kind of, you know, made a career for themselves like Nico Koivu and Crawford did. Uh, and the two of them, Crawford played his whole career in Chicago. Nico Koivu played his whole career in Minnesota. And moving to a new city in a time like now, you know, moving with your family and such, it's, it's, it's definitely a difficult thing. And, you know, hopefully it's not a pattern where, you know, these veterans just can't take it anymore and we start to see more retirements. Do you believe that Nico Koivu has a Hall of Fame, uh, you know, career? I think, you know... As a captain, a longtime captain of the Minnesota Wild, I think his jersey will potentially be retired there. As in terms of Hall of Fame, it's just such a tough place to get, and I'm not sure if he has the accolades. Maybe if he were to play a little bit longer and have more longevity in the NHL, um, I'm not sure what he's done on a you know international level. But uh, right now, I think he's on the fringe, but not quite there yet. It just goes to show, because Crawford has three rings, right? So he'll probably get into the Hall of Fame, uh, along with Olympic medals. It just goes to show that, you know, Minnesota basically wasted Koivu's career because they never even got close to a Stanley Cup final. Yeah, it's unfortunate with a player like that. And, you know, the guys loved him around him. Obviously, he was the captain. Uh, They had a couple, you know, good seasons in the regular season and, you know, would win a series here or there. But, you know, just never that deep run with him on the wild. And, you know, now maybe we might not see one for the foreseeable future. 
The Coyotes and the Blues wrapped up a seven straight game series, a literal playoff series, in my opinion. Uh, the series is tied at 3-3. Game seven or, uh, you know, it's either tonight. I'm not sure if it – yeah, it would be tonight because they didn't play uh, yesterday. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, Arizona has had a 3-1 lead. They are on the verge of choking a 3-1 lead. And I just thought that this is funny because this could be a legit playoff series we see in the future. Yeah, you know, these teams are definitely super familiar with each other, especially the Coyotes and Blues. You know, coming into the season, we were expecting to see, you know, more of a series format where you'd play two or three games against one team. However, seven in a row is definitely something that the league was not, you know, bracing for. But, you know, it's just a fact that, you know, that division has had a couple issues in terms of COVID. You know, Colorado had issues and Minnesota as well. So, you know, there's not many other options for teams that they can play. So the Blues and Coyotes have had to, you know, get really familiar with each other, playing each other all these times. It will make for a fun playoff matchup because of how tight checking I think it will be. Yeah, I think both of these teams play, you know, a a style of hockey that can translate to, you know, a playoff style. I think, you know, maybe more focused on a two-way style, you know, and there's some skill throughout these lineups. I think, you know, and, and like you said, it's 3-3 after six games, so so they are very tight with each other. I think maybe later down the season, this could be a good matchup we could see. Pierre-Luc Dubois made his debut last Tuesday. Uh, you, know, I, you know, Winnipeg is doing very steady in that third position. They're fourth in the north right now, but they were third uh, when they wrote down the note. You know, I just think that if either Montreal or Toronto or even both, like, you know, if they go into some sort of slump, uh, I think that Winnipeg could definitely take over that number two position. Yeah, no, with the Jets, I I watched their game on Saturday against Ottawa. And, you know, it was unfortunate they could only get one goal out there. However, you know, some of the time they were dominating play and some of the time they were getting dominated. Uh, I think. You know, Hellebuck, you can't ask for much more from a goalie. I think he's night in, night out, going to give you the best chance to win a game. Uh, but I would like to see a little more from that Jets offense in terms of scoring. You know, they're producing chances and getting getting shots on net. But, you know, in terms of goals, I want to see, you know, Shifley and Connor and Wheeler and those guys, you know, with the absence of line A, there is, you know, a bit of a hole in terms of goal scoring. And I want to see them pick that up. An interesting stat that I came across was that Winnipeg was 6-3-1 in their last 10 without Dubois, Roslovic, and Line. So, uh, you know, I thought that was, you know, an interesting stat because of how uh, they played collectively as a team and they found some success. Yeah, I think, you know, a big part of that, they're playing Ottawa for a lot of those games. So it's going to be a little bit inflated. But like you said, you know, guys just stepping up. You know, they've had guys like Adam Lowry and uh, Andrew Kopp these guys who you're used to seeing as, you know, maybe third, fourth line guys have to step into the top six and they've done all right for themselves. So, you know, hopefully the Jets can, you know, find some consistency in their lineup and bringing back uh, Pierre-Luc Dubois. He's missed a couple games already for them. Uh, Hopefully he can ease his way into the lineup as well. One player I want to focus on uh, for the Jets is actually Neil Pionk and how well he has been. Uh, you know, it's looking like a real nice acquisition for the Jets in that Jacob Truba trade. Either you could say that, you know, we weren't expecting Pionk's uh, progression or we could say that, you know, no one expected Jacob Truba's regression. I say that because Pionk has 55 points in 85 games with Winnipeg. And you want to contrast that with Truba, who only has 29 points in 83 games with New York. 
Yeah, you know, when that trade was made, uh, I think a lot of people thought maybe New York was getting the better end of the deal. You know, Jacob Truba at the time was an established top four defenseman, maybe even top pairing kind of guy. Um, and Pionk, you know, he had offensive upside, but he didn't really have that complete game when he was in New York. They got a first round pick as well, Vinny Hainola, who's also a very solid defenseman. Um, but no, yeah, for sure. I think Pionk has, you know, blossomed into this nice top four defenseman, you know, with a great offensive skill set. Um, and now he's starting to get this complete game, you know, under Paul Maurice. I think Pionk has progressed very nicely and, and become a very good piece for this Jets defense who, you know, last season was lacking. And this season they're starting to figure things out a little bit more. To go even further, Jacob Truba's contract is $8 million for the next five years, whereas Pionk is an RFA and, uh, you know, this summer and, you know, that contract is to be determined. But, you know, right now it's not looking good for the Rangers. Yeah, you know, with these young guys, a lot of a lot of GMs like to sign them to, you know, the max length that they can, these seven or eight year deals, hoping that, you know, by, you know, halfway through their or the latter half of the contract, you know, it could it could look like a steal. However, you know, it, it is a risk and there is a little bit of a gamble there. And I think, you know, we're seeing that with Truba, you know, maybe at the time he wasn't an eight million dollar player. And the Rangers were hoping for him to progress into that, and he just hasn't. So, you know, that is a rough contract for them and, and a very big cap hit. Ron Hextall was hired as the general manager, and Brian Burke joined alongside of him for president of hockey operations for the Penguins as they concluded their GM search. I, you know, I think that uh, Ron Hextall will do, uh, you know, a good job alongside of Brian Burke. I think, you know, having them, uh, you know, control – uh, the moves that are going to be made, I think they'll be, they'll do good. I think they'll do good. Yeah. You know, it's, it's two guys who kind of know what they're doing. So in terms of, you know, worst case scenario, they don't really have a terrible worst case scenario, but in terms of best case scenario, these two, these are two guys who have been around the league for a while, you know, especially Brian Burke. I'm, I'm surprised, you know, he got another job in the NHL. He kind of, you know, turned his career more towards, you know, being an analyst, being featured on Sportsnet. Um, Ron Hextall, it's kind of interesting. You know, there's a bit of a rivalry. He was a longtime Philadelphia Flyer and Flyers legend. And now him in Pittsburgh, it's going to provide for a little bit of, you know, intensity when they play the Flyers. But I do think it's the right call. And the Penguins did, you know, make a good decision moving on from Jim Rutherford. And, you know, this hopefully is a good sign of good things to come for Pittsburgh. In some unfortunate news, TSN cut the radio stations for Vancouver, Winnipeg and Hamilton uh, my best wishes go out to those who are affected. You definitely don't want to see that happening in the sports world. Uh, people getting their jobs cut, and uh, you know, uh, I was just reading reports on it uh, when the day when it happened, and apparently workers had you know thirty minutes uh, to pick up their personal belongings and leave, or they were gonna uh, you know like for force them or something. I don't know. Um, I, I forget the complete report on that. Uh, you know, the employees were cut off immediately, so uh, you know. They were talking about sports one second and then the next uh, they were cut off and, it was, and, you know, TSN apparently played songs reportedly Time of Our Lives by um, Green Day and Blinding Lights by The Weeknd. And, um, you know, just to see that happen in Bell Media do it like that, like, man, that is just horrific way of going out. And uh, it's definitely not the way you want to end, uh, you know, I guess, end your career, although... Uh, you know, the careers aren't ended. Um, yeah, I just, I, I hate it. I hate it. Yeah, you know, this pandemic's been tough for a lot of people in terms of, you know, losing their jobs. 
And in the sports world, I feel like, you know, the sports world has done, you know, fairly well and maybe not in terms of revenue, but in terms of, you know, having somewhat of an identity, you know, we've been able to crown a Stanley Cup champion, an NBA champion, uh, MLB champion and a Super Bowl champion all in this time of the pandemic. However, you know, it really goes to show you how much of an effect this has on just everyday life. Uh, you know, with these radio workers, you know, radio, it, it's a tough, it's a tough business in itself. You know, you know, the prime of radio was closer to a hundred years ago than it is to now. Yeah. Um, but it, it is just unfortunate. And, you know, in the way that you said that they were, you know, taken off, uh, it, it just, you know, it, it, it is really rough for them. Another thing to add is apparently some of the workers actually found out via social media, uh, more specifically Twitter, I believe, uh, that their jobs were cut or, you know, some viewers were texting, you know, the hosts saying that, you know, did you hear what happened? No one had any idea. Uh, Hamilton radio station is going to rebrand as BNN Bloomberg. Winnipeg and Vancouver had, or, you know, at the time of this recording, uh, have already switched over to the comedy genre. Uh, so like stand-up comedian, stuff like that. Uh, you know, this affects uh, not only the people that are working, but, you know, Hamilton Bulldogs games, uh, Max Sports, uh, Hamilton Ticats games, and now Canucks and Jets and, you know, those regions uh, don't have any sports to host. Yeah, no, it is super unfortunate. And like you said, with the Twitter point, you know, we're in a day and age where social media you know, athletes can find out they got traded through social media. And it's just an unfortunate way. It's kind of like getting broken up through a text. Um, it's just like, you don't want to see someone find out that way. You, you want them to be able to be told and collect their thoughts rather than just being put on the spot. Another interesting stat that I found out was, you know, the Oilers recorded their first win uh, since 2018, uh, 2018, since November 28th, 2017, when McDavid and Dreisaitl did not record a point. They went 0-26-2 in that span. Uh, I just thought that was really interesting, uh, you, know, you know, how many losses and, you know, they basically only got two points. Yeah, I think, you know, there's, there's a lot of things to look at. With that, there's one, you know, Drysdale and McDavid, they're scoring in a lot of games, you know. That's only 28 games since November 28th, 2017, where neither of them were able to record a point. Um, but it is another, you know, another point to the Edmonton's depth, you know, in the last couple seasons. <laughs> in the last couple seasons, you know, it's been a big issue for Edmonton. But, you know, this season, you know, their, their defense has stepped up. I think they lead the league in defensive uh, points from defensemen. Um, and, you know, it was just when when Holland came in, it was something he, you know, really wanted to establish. And that was, you know, more depth scoring outside of McDavid and Dreisaitl. And it's obviously a good thing when they get on the board because, you know, you're going to give yourself a chance to win when they're on. Um, however, you know, finding success outside of that is an important thing for Oilers. And, you know, the Oilers do sit. Uh, right now, third in the North Division. And, you know, if they can continue uh, their success, right, because they're on a three-game winning streak right now. They're 7-3-0 in their last 10. They, you know, they they could probably get that second position because they're only two points back out of, uh, you know, two points back of Montreal. Yeah, you know, I think, uh, like I said with Winnipeg, there's a bit of, you know, inflammation in terms of, you know, they've played Ottawa a bunch. So that 7-3-0 maybe isn't as, you know, great of a realistic um you know, example to describe this Oilers team. However, uh, this week they have a really big week, week for the Oilers. Um, and hopefully, you know, with these key games against Winnipeg and Calgary, 
you know, they can they can really establish themselves as that third place team. As right now, I don't think they they really have a, a big grasp on that. The Detroit Red Wings, as well as all three New York teams, are allowing fans. Uh, Detroit is allowing 500 people per game. Uh, in my opinion, that seems quite normal for a Red Wings game. Uh, and uh, Andrew Cuomo, the governor, said that uh, starting on February 23rd, arenas and stadiums will be allowing 10% capacity. Yeah, you know, I think just the slow progression in terms of getting back to full capacity is something that's going to be interesting to follow over these next couple of years. I don't think it's going to be something that happens overnight. Um, but, you know, it, it is a good sign, you know, New York, especially, um, you know, maybe not with Detroit, you know, Detroit, it is a very big metropolitan area. However, you know, with New York, that's a big step in the right direction in terms of 10% capacity. In other news, uh, with fans uh, coming into the arena, Columbus is allowing 1,953 fans, and Pittsburgh is looking at allowing 25% capacity. You love to see it, really, in my opinion, uh, that fans are getting back to the building. Yeah, no, 100%. You know, even if it is just, you know, uh, 1,900 fans like Columbus, you know, that's, that's you know, around 10% of their actual capacity. You know, 25% for Pittsburgh, that's, that, that is a really big number. Um, and it just does have an impact. You know, no fans versus 25% of fans. Uh, it does make a difference because, you know, like we saw in the playoffs last year, there was zero, you know, home ice advantage. And I think, you know, it is a big part of the game and having the fans in the rink uh, is something that helps the players. Montreal is looking to find consistency in their lineup outside of Tyler Toffoli and Josh Anderson because there really isn't much secondary goal scoring. Phil Deneau has zero goals in his last 14 games. Kakanyemi has zero goals in his last 10 games. Drouin has zero goals in his last eight games. Suzuki has zero goals in his last five games. And Tatar, who was scratched Saturday night, has only one goal in his last 12 games. So, you know, outside of Toffoli and Anderson, there really isn't much goal scoring going around. Yeah, you know, those guys, Toffoli and Anderson, they're having great seasons. However, you know, when you start to look at the depth of the Canadians, you know, you, you need more goals just outside of two top guys. And it's a good thing always to have two guys performing like the way Toffoli and Anderson are. Um, they're both, you know, having probably going to be shattering records in terms of, you know, goals per game in their career, uh, having great seasons. But, you know, you, you just want to be able to see, you know, more goal scoring outside of your top guys in the lineup. And, you know, the names you mentioned, Philip Deneau, uh, maybe not so much Kakanyemi. You know, he, he, he is still, you know, very young in his career. But, uh, you know, Drew and Tatar, these are guys you're expecting to score every couple of games. So it is tough for the Canadians, and they do have to figure that out. Matthews has become quite the two-way center, in my opinion, you know, and I think that Babcock was trying to implement a more defensive side of his game, and I think that this, this season, he has really found that notch. Yeah, you know, Matthews, he, you know, even in his rookie season, had a little bit of, you know, of, you know, defensive, you know, star power, and I think, you know, this season, you know, Sheldon Keith has allowed Matthews to be a guy who's playing, you know, 20 plus minutes a night, you know, where Babcock, he wasn't, you know, getting the minutes that a superstar player should be getting. Um, and, you know, Sheldon Keith putting him in, you know, penalty killing roles, uh, you know, just it really shows the trust that, you know, Sheldon Keith does have with Austin Matthews. And, you know, this two way game can really, you know, establish him as one of the top players in the league if it if, you know, his goal scoring isn't enough for the casual fan. Austin Matthews is ranked ninth in the league with 10 takeaways. I thought that I should uh, put that alongside of it just to show how uh, he is improving defensively. 
Yeah, exactly. He's a guy, you know, he, with a little bit of bigger size for a skill guy. Um, he's he's got a he's got a strong body, and you know, he, he's hard on a stick. You know, not only with his wicked wristers, but you know, in terms of you know lifting sticks and getting a stick in the right place to you know get himself the puck. I think you know it's a big thing for the for the Leafs, and not just Matthews, but in general, I think they focus more towards you know a, a solid defensive game, not not as much as offense, uh, and they found success this season. Jack Roslovic has been on fire. Uh, you know, this was the piece about the line A trade that I personally was unsure of. You know, I think that we are definitely seeing how well he plays uh, in, you know, in the top six of Columbus. He's been getting uh, first line center role uh, alongside of Patrick Line. So I think that definitely has helped him. Yeah, no, exactly. You know, like you said in your notes, he's an Ohio native. And I mentioned that when he got traded there, you know, he he was a first round pick. So he's obviously a guy who's, you know, had the skill to be a good player in the NHL. However, he just, you know, never really found much of a role in that Winnipeg offense. And now that he's moved to Columbus, you know, seeing these top six role, uh, he's got a lot of trust from Tortorella. And I think, you know, it, it's just something that all fans are, you know, happy to see a guy, a former first round pick who, you know, maybe was on the maybe on the track to be, you know, more of a disappointing pick, you know, actually find find his legs and find, you know, where he's supposed to be in the NHL. The Blue Jackets are among three other teams tied for second in the Central Division. Uh, I think I'm just going to do a quick search here. Yeah, uh, they're among three other teams tied for second in the Central Division. They're five, three and two in their last 10. And they're currently on a one game losing streak. But again, that division, uh, you know, besides Tampa, because they're running away with it. Uh, that second place could be up for grabs. Yeah, you know, with the postponed postponements and everything it's a tough division just in terms of you know games played there is a little bit of a gap uh with some of the teams you know as we move along further you know I feel like we're at a point where we kind of know where every team's at um especially in this division uh and you know it is a tight race and you know with the wild card you know the normal format with east and west and then the wild card you know it's easier to kind of see your path to the playoffs but when only four teams in every division make it you know, it really d does become super competitive. And when you're only playing each other, every game does matter that much more. Like you mentioned earlier, the Buffalo Sabres are back uh, to playing on, uh, you know, to playing hockey. They're back playing on Monday night tonight against the New York Islanders. Uh, that's coming off a two-week break. And, you know, certainly I read the lines and for the Sabres and their defense is looking really bad. Uh, you know, it's like a mix. Uh, their defense, of course, like a mix of, uh, you know, the Rochester Americans, uh, their AHL team and, you know, the NHL team. But uh, in good news, uh, you know, Rasmus Dalim was back on the ice Sunday, so he should be ready to go and suit it up for uh, tonight's game. Yeah, like you mentioned with the Buffalo Sabres in terms of the defense, you know, with the inflammation of the taxi squad this year, you know, it's just kind of a couple guys coming in and out of the lineup. But, you know, it, it looks like their entire defense is made up of taxi squad players. Um, you know, it is unfortunate just in terms of the bug that did hit Buffalo. Um, I'm not sure any updates on Ralph Kruger, whether or not he'll be behind the bench. I would assume not, um, unless you have any information on that. I do, though. I, so he was back uh, at practice on Sunday, so that's also positive Perfect. news. Oh, yeah. Great thing to see for the Sabres. Obviously, you know, a two-week break, it's going to be hard to, you know, come back in. They're kind of just, you know, resetting their season, uh, you know, in terms of any momentum they had going into their two-week break. You know, it's kind of a little bit lost. So hopefully you can see, you know, Buffalo start to, you know, get a little bit of that offensive game going again.
We had a little bit of a depth deal that was done on the weekend. Uh, Ottawa acquires uh, Ryan Dezingle from Carolina for Alex Galchenik and Cedric Paquet. Uh, you know, I think this is basically a depth deal because simply uh, the players that were mentioned didn't find uh, a, a sufficient role with their uh, respective teams. Uh, you know, Galchenyuk and Paquet didn't bring much to Ottawa. Same with Ryan Dezingle in Carolina. However, I think that Dezingle will get more opportunity in Ottawa. Yeah, you know, Dezingle, he signed the contract with Carolina a couple off seasons ago, and people expected him to just be another solid piece for that Carolina offense. Um, he never really broke into that role. And, you know, even in Columbus, he was kind of struggling to score. Uh, the last time we've really seen Dezingle be a solid offensive player was when he was in Ottawa. So it is nice to see him go back. You know, I can relate this to being an Oilers fan. We lost Sam Gagne for a couple of years. Obviously, he's not on the roster anymore, but he came back uh, for a couple of seasons. And it was just nice to see him back in an Oilers uniform. And I think Senators fans are going to be happy to have Dezingle back for sure. We had a suspension that was handed over uh, during the week as well. Johan Larson uh, was suspended for two games for his hit to the head of Blues forward Zach Sanford. Uh, Larson was assessed a two-minute minor penalty uh, hit to the head on the on the play. Uh, you know, as I was watching the replay, Sanford did look to have his head down as he was releasing and loading up for the shot. Uh, it looks like head was the principal point of contact. Uh, however, Sanford did remain in the game. So I think that, uh, in my opinion, two two to three games was where I thought this suspension should go, uh, simply because the NHL really hasn't done much uh, in terms of uh, head contact and giving out suspensions. Yeah, you know, this has been a topic in the last couple episodes uh, for us, you know, just in terms of the inconsistencies. You know, you have some hits that are worse than others not getting anything. And you have some hits like this. You know, I think, you know, two or three games is 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 completely valid for, for what we saw. And maybe not so much on the specific play, but, you know, two to three games to Johan Larson does give a message to the league, you know, saying, you know, doing this will get you two or three games. And, you know, I just want to see more consistency. You know, I want to see a hit like this. If he's going to get two games, okay. If it happens again, I want to see that player get two games as well. I don't want to see you know, kind of just fluctuations in terms of how many games they're handing out, if any. Francesco Aquilini gave the vote of confidence to head coach uh, Green and GM Jim Benning. Uh, you know, the Vancouver was on a six-game losing streak, and, you know, they went with the usual, uh, you know, they used a casual dress code for Saturday's game against Calgary, and, you know, they did snap that six-game losing streak with a win uh, against Calgary on Saturday night. Yeah, you know, it just seemed that nothing was going right for the Canucks. No matter what, they were just, you know, losing. And it's not like they were losing in, you know, in, in close games. They were getting dominated by teams like the Leafs. Um, but, you know, they, they had a solid game against uh, Calgary last week that they lost. Uh, they had a good amount of shots. Jacob Markstrom, like we mentioned in the previous episode, he's just been lights out this season. But, you know, they were able to, you know, kind of change their style, come into the rink maybe a little more relaxed and have, you know, more, more of a better headspace coming in from a six game losing streak. You just want to do whatever you can to, you know, change the culture and change the way of things in your, in your locker room. 
This doesn't exactly relate to hockey, but it was definitely trending news. Uh, the silversmith or the daughter of the main silversmith for the Lombardi Trophy. I'm pretty sure I got that title right. Lorraine Gros was very disappointed in Tom Brady for throwing the Lombardi Trophy from one boat to another. And uh, I thought this was uh, really funny uh, because, you know, if she saw the stuff that players did with the Stanley Cup, she would be, uh, you know, more than disappointed. She, uh, you know, lost two days of sleep uh, because of what, because of Tom Brady's actions, and she is looking for Tom to apologize to her. Personally, I don't think Tom's going to apologize. I really don't. Uh, <laughs> but I just thought that this was uh, really funny. Yeah, you know, I think Tom, just in terms of his brand, he might just come out and say sorry, just even if he doesn't mean it. But I think just, you know, overall, what I what I took from this is I, I, I enjoyed, you know, the social media's reaction to this. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I remember I saw a post, I think, on Instagram. I went straight to the comments, and one of them was saying, like, well, Tom Brady owns that trophy. He can do whatever he wants with it. Um, one guy saying, you know, why does it matter if it's going to be named after him in a couple of years? Um, you know, with Tom Brady, you know, it's his seventh Vince Lombardi trophy. You, you'd think he knows what's respectful and what's disrespectful with the Lombardi trophy. And I just think, you know, they earned that Super Bowl win. And I think they're just having a good time. And I think, you know, kind of shutting that down. I do understand it from her side. However, you know, maybe not to come out with that publicly, but maybe address Tom Brady in, uh, in private would have been the better way to go. Yeah, because she got ripped, man. Like, she got ripped apart, whether it was Instagram, Twitter, social media, completely came down on her uh, for coming out publicly. And, uh, you know, I do agree with you saying that some matters have to be discussed privately rather than publicly. Yeah. No, and, and there were so many highlights from that parade. I'm not sure if you saw, but Tom Brady seemed like he had to, uh, he had himself a good time and, and was celebrating that seventh ring a little more than he would would have uh it's the warm weather you know now that he's in tampa there's a difference between celebrating a ring in tampa where the weather's nice in february versus you know boston where he would have you know been wearing a winter coat uh, and cheering with patriots fans i think that i think that nashville could be looking at uh firing their first coach John Hines and I think this is really uh, you know besides Vancouver and their coaching situation you know uh, this has really been the first coach that's been on uh, the hot seat because you know the thing things are going well for the Preds right now they got dominated by Detroit who has a minus 18 goal differential only Ottawa is worse I believe yeah Ottawa's worse uh, only you know the only team that's worse and it's Detroit I mean come on they they're they're in a full-on rebuild you should be able to cream them uh I can't say much because the Habs got swept by Detroit last season so I should probably keep my mouth shut but anyway uh you know Nashville is seventh in that central division at a record of six nine and zero, and you know if they don't turn things around like I think that uh John Hines could get fired yeah, you know, I, I absolutely agree with that. I remember last year, you know, they kind of had a bit of a rough stretch and they fired P Peter LaViolette. And I, I didn't I didn't disagree with that whatsoever. I thought maybe his time was up. However, his replacement, I looked to see, it was John Hines. I didn't really like that move too much. I feel like you're not really changing the style of play too much because John Hines is, you know, more of that defensive-minded guy like LaViolette is. Um, and John Hines was fired last year from New Jersey. So I, I, I was surprised to see him get a job, you know, that quickly after being fired from, you know, New Jersey, a team that's, you know, if you get fired from them, you, you have to know you're doing something wrong. 
Um, and and I, I agree, you know, just, you know, something to look at, you know, 6-9-0, 7th in that division. You know, they need a little bit of a shakeup because they do have talent on that roster. They've just been utilizing it pretty poorly in the last couple seasons since their uh, cup run. You know, this has been the first time since January 19th that the Caps had a full lineup on Sunday versus the Penguins. In eight games since January 19th, the Capitals went 4-3-1 and were tied for fourth in the NHL in goals per game with three and a half. Uh, you know, this goes back to the, you know, collectively uh, winning as a team uh, point I made with Winnipeg. And, you know, there were, they were without four huge Russian players that contribute massively to their team. And, you know, they came together as a team and really uh, that's how they found success. Yeah, you know, in a season like this, I feel like this maybe might not be the only time we see a situation like this. Uh, like I've mentioned before, the Capitals, that kind of group of players have, have been playing together for a while. So they can kind of, you know, kind of limit limit the damage from this sort of situation. But, you know, a team, maybe maybe a more young, less experienced team, if it were to happen to them, I think, you know, a 4-3-1 and one record and fourth in the NHL in goals is an unrealistic target. Time for uh, Peg Predicts or Peg's Predicts, whatever you want to call it. Uh, this is, uh, you know, Tuesday's predictions on February 16th. So, uh, you know, I have the Islanders being the Sabres. Uh, depending on how, uh, you know, the Sabres are going to do with their uh, COVID-19 list and who's going to come off or, uh, you know, yeah, who's going to come off, uh, that really affects their lineup. So uh, given what I've seen so far, I think the Islanders are going to uh, beat the Sabres. Uh, you know, historical, historically wise, uh, the Penguins have done really well against the Capitals. So I'm going to take them over the Caps uh, tomorrow. I'm going to take the Rangers over the Devils uh, simply because of, uh, you know, how they are dealing with their COVID situation, who's coming off. Uh, that's just the same argument I'm going to use with Buffalo. Uh, the Stars over the Predators, uh, like we mentioned just right there, the Predators are trash right now, and they need to figure some stuff out. And until I see some improvement, I'm going to not be picking them for the next couple weeks. Uh, the Golden Knights over the Avalanche, Marc-Andre Fleury uh, recorded his second shutout of the season. He played solid, and it's very rare that we see a one nothing game be as exciting as that. Uh, that was uh, Sunday uh, evening. Uh, that was a great game. So I'm going to take the Knights again. And uh, I'm going to go with the Minnesota Wild over the Kings. You know, the Kings are rebuilding young core team. I think that the Wild will beat them. Yeah, um, you know, only six games, but I, I feel like we got a couple good matchups on this Tuesday. Um, I'll agree with you with the Rangers. I'll take them over the Devils. I just think, you know, the Devils, you know, maybe in a normal setting, I'd take them over the Rangers. They've been playing all right this season, but, you know, I haven't seen them play in a couple weeks. So, you know, who, who's the judge based off that? And, you know, the Rangers... You know, ho hopefully they can turn things around. They've been having a little bit of a rough start. Um, I'll go with the Sabres over the Islanders. You know, even though that defensive core is a little rough, I think, you know, they're playing a back-to-back. -back. So uh, I think Buffalo, maybe tonight they won't get the win, but they'll be able to feel the Islanders out a little bit. I remember Jack Eichel, he said a couple days ago, you know, he, he's pissed. He hasn't played in two weeks, but he knows that. He says he's coming. He's going to come out of this two-week break uh, firing. Um, I'll go with the Stars as well as the Predators, I think. The Preds, it's just, you know, they could be in for a long, rough season if they don't figure things out. Um, and I'll take the Stars. They've just been playing, you know, solid enough to get by. Uh, I'll go with the Capitals over the Penguins. You know, surprisingly, you know, usually if these teams play four times in a season, you like to see them split. You know, the Capitals will win two and the Penguins will win two. 
However, the Penguins have kind of dominated them this season so far. Uh, but I will give the Capitals the benefit of the doubt and hope that they can kind of, you know, rebound uh, and beat the Penguins. Uh, I'll go with the Avs over the Golden Knights, although the Golden Knights did win on Sunday. Um, I'm thinking a one nothing game between those two teams isn't going to happen every time. Uh, Colorado is all, also missing Makar and Landeskog. I'm not sure if they're going to be back for that Tuesday game. Um, and I'll, I'll, go with the, I'll go with the Wild over the Kings as well. Um, although Talbot is not playing that game, I only know that because of my fantasy team. But I do think Capo Kakinen is good enough to get the win as well. Well, I'd like to thank again Nolan Thode for joining me on another edition of Down to the Wire. Well, thank you for having me. Go Oilers.